So one of the key strategies and objectives was to keep our business going for as long as possible and try to drive as much sales as possible to keep our team uh, employed and re-employ as much as we can. So a lot of other businesses decided to close around us. We stayed open and, uh, and we were able to really come back a lot faster. This week on Dirty Linen, we have been talking to people in all kinds of different positions in the hospitality industry and chatting about the future. I'm really thrilled to talk to Bao Huang, who is the owner of Rolled, a fast casual Vietnamese brand that has uh, restaurants all around Australia and has been thriving during the pandemic. Bao, thank you so much for coming along to have a chat. Pleasure, Danny. Thanks for having me. So it was probably two or three months ago, Bao, that you brought your very shiny Rolled Runner to my street and we were very excited to come out onto the street with the kids and you made you and your team made a delicious dinner for us in the truck. Uh, so it's, um, you, I guess you have done many different things. Can, can you tell us a little bit about Rolled and, and what sort of company it is? So Rolled's a, a family-based business. We started in 2012 with uh, myself, uh, another co-founder, Ray, who's a primary school, uh, primary school friend of mine, and Tin, who's a cousin of mine. So we started it, no food experience, and I'm, I'm myself a, a physiotherapist by, by profession. So it was really interesting to get into the food business. We started with uh, no understanding, yeah, no understanding of food. Tin had a bit of experience sort of uh, working in family bakeries, but uh, it was definitely an eye-opener when we started, where we uh, our first store had a queue of you know, 50 people before we opened the doors for the first day. Where was the first store? Uh, so Melbourne CBD. Uh, so a little uh, laneway called Goldsboro Lane. Uh, we took over an Italian cafe actually back in sort of uh, November 2011 and converted it to a, a Vietnamese uh, you know, street food as what you call rolled now. So uh, we learned very quickly and started serving you know, 800 people in a two-hour window um, you know, very, very quickly every single day and and from there, we uh, we felt we were on a winner, expanded very, very quickly from there, made a lot of mistakes along the way, uh, but I've been able to share our love of Vietnamese food and a lot of my mum's recipes and my auntie's recipes with uh, a lot of Australians. That's so great. So how many stores do you have now? We have, we've opened 89 and we've closed four, so we've got uh, 85. Ah, incredible. I mean, it's pretty different to physiotherapy, I would imagine. <laughs> Yeah, it is, absolutely. I was part of a franchise group um, and I learned a fair bit through that process being a franchisee and hence uh, becoming on the other side as a franchisor in this space gives me a really good balance in terms of understanding what a franchisee goes through. So it's been a, a good journey but a, learning, uh, a lot of learnings along the way. So do you have a balance of company-owned stores and franchisees or are they all franchises? Uh, no. So initially we started with a lot of company stores uh, we found very quickly that we couldn't manage it through uh, due to their massive and, and really quick rapid expansion. And we found that our franchisees who were joining the business were running the stores a lot better. So we've slowly divested a lot of stores, but we still own a good dozen or so stores. So obviously things changed for everyone in March. Was the pandemic something that you saw coming or were you blindsided by it? <laughs> I actually like to think that I saw it not coming, but sort of a little bit earlier than a lot of others because I guess I took a lot of interest in what was happening in Wuhan in sort of mid-January. I actually travelled to the US in early February with hesitation, um, but uh, decided to go, came back, 
and then realized very quickly that I think it was becoming a, a pandemic and, and actually got our business prepared for it. So for, for about a month before lockdown, we actually prepared our business for what was to come. And, uh, and luckily we did, and, and yeah, obviously unfortunate that it did happen, but um, we were slightly prepared for it, um, which, was, which was good. How do you prepare for it? Yeah, it's just minor changes within the business. So again, through any crisis, uh, cash and maintaining cash is always going to be super important. So we reduced a lot of our expenses pretty quickly. We spoke to our team and just got them understanding what our plans may be as soon as the pandemic uh, escalated, if it escalated. Um, so everyone knew what the plan was. Everyone was very clear on why we were doing things. And so when we had to make some pretty tough decisions at the start of the pandemic with our staff, they understood exactly why. Um, and so to give you some transparency around that, we, uh, at the start of the pandemic, we lost 80% of our sales right through the group. So we went to 20% of normal sales. Um, we unfortunately had to stand down a couple of our team members, uh, but the rest of our team... Um, willingly and volunteeringly uh, reduced salary by 40%. So we all went down to 60% of our normal salary. The plan was actually to stay on that for for over four months. Um, but because of the way we had planned the business and the fact that our whole team hustled as soon as the pandemic hit, we were able to grow sales pretty quickly back to about 60% through the May period. So we actually put all of our team um, back on full salary within about six weeks. Um, and so... It was actually a great achievement, yeah. Because I imagine that a lot of your stores would be in shopping centres or food courts. Would that be right? Well, a lot of our stores are in shopping centres, uh, food courts, but also CBD office towers. And so, as you can imagine, CBD uh, business districts have absolutely been decimated. And unfortunately, they're not coming back as fast as uh, other areas. Our shopping centre food court stores did struggle as well. Um, however... We, did, we do have a, a fair batch of stores that are based in fresh food areas outside Coles, outside Woolies, which we're obviously having a lot of traffic go through them. And so we're able to maintain some of those sales through those stores during that time. But how does that work with franchises? Because I imagine if you've got company stores, you'd be able to redeploy staff, assuming it was okay for them. But with, with franchises, uh, how do you manage those staffing issues? Yeah, and so a lot of those stores would have been directly managing their own team. So, yeah, absolutely, our franchisees will manage their team. Um, and, and right across the board, we had to stand down a fair, a fair few more staff than the, at, a, at a head office level. So I think through the group, we had to stand down about 800 staff at the start of the pandemic. And it took us about six months or so to actually re-employ all of them. So, we're, so one of the key strategies and objectives as soon as uh, we started doing that was to keep our business going for as long as possible and as for and try to drive as much sales as possible to keep our team uh, employed and re-employ as much as we can. So a lot of other businesses decided to close around us. We stayed open and uh, and we were able to really come back a lot faster as the, um, as the restrictions were being released in May. Bao, I imagine that you would have a lot of international students and other visa workers as part of your workforce. Was that part of your motivation, like looking after these people who aren't eligible for JobKeeper or JobSeeker? Was that part of your motivation in uh, keeping the business going? Absolutely, yeah. So we're, we're, we're very lucky that our, the culture within our whole group, whether it's franchised or, or company-owned, um, is just is a phenomenal culture and so a lot of those that were lucky, lucky enough to be on were eligible for JobKeeper 
we're looking to support their fellow workers as well. So we've actually created a fair few initiatives within our business to support those that are not eligible. And, and we've, um, we've actually supported a lot of our uh, really distressed staff, unfortunately, through this period. Um, but um, yeah, it's been definitely a challenging time for those guys. Um, but we're lucky to say that we've been able to support most of those guys, if not all of them, through the, the pandemic, through the major stresses of it anyway. What have you been able to do company for those people? Yeah, so we've got a, a mental support line that we've always had in our business and we always will have. Um, that's been an avenue that they can access, but it's also been monetary support. So we've actually paid for a lot of people's rents and food on the table and, and all those sort of things that uh, just needs to get people living. Um, where we realise we can't support everyone because we we're as a business also suffering through this period, but uh, we uh, were able to help as much as we can and still are. And I think in Victoria particularly, um, that support's just going to be uh, ramped up even further, I think, and needing to be ramped up further as we go through the, the second stages of lockdown and uh, and looking at sort of the other side of the, hopefully the pandemic in sort of early next year. What's the composition of your stores nationally? Are they mostly in Victoria? Um, Victoria, we have about 30 stores. New South Wales, we have about 30 as well. And then the, the rest is spread between Canberra, um, Queensland and, uh, and WA. So pretty even spread through the rest of it, yeah. As other states in Australia have reopened, have you seen strong sales? Like how does it compare to last year, for example? Um, so Queensland and WA are better than last year by quite a way. So it is interesting to see the divergence in success across the different states. New South Wales is slightly lower than last year, but not uh, not in a big way. And obviously, Victoria has gone through a fair fair challenge. So we're probably at about forty to thirty percent of where we were um, last year in Victoria. Well, let's talk about Victoria. Uh, what have you guys done over the past six months to keep money flowing in to Victoria through lockdowns one and two? Yeah, it's been challenging, as as I've said again. The support from the federal government regarding JobKeeper. Uh, the cash flow boosting, those sort of things has really allowed us to maintain as business as usual as possible. We're one of the lucky businesses um, that can still continue to operate. We can't obviously have people coming in to dine in at food court stores or whatever it is, but we're a majority takeaway business anyway. And so, um, yeah, it's been, uh, I will always say that we're in the lucky half of the draw versus a lot of other businesses. And I've got a lot of friends in the events businesses and hospitality businesses which obviously have been absolutely decimated and tourism has been decimated. So um, I always say we're, we've been lucky. Um, the support from the government, I think, has been phenomenal in, in keeping a lot of businesses alive through this period. And as a business, um, we've used the challenge and the crisis to really innovate. So like you, like you said in the intro, uh, the road runner and the truck is, is something that we initiated now but probably had been planning for, for about two years. Um, and, and the crisis really sort of uh, heightened the importance of that. We have a few more of those trucks landing in Melbourne in the next few months, so um, that's exciting. And, and really focusing on our delivery platform as well. So uh, delivery and convenience, I think, is always going to be the future of, of uh, business, particularly in hospitality and food retail. And, and I think uh, for us, um, the pandemic pretty much forced us to do it, you know? Yeah. So, Bao, have you been on the phone to anyone interesting today? That might be a bit of a, a leading question, but uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I've recently been appointed as a, uh, a commissioner on uh, Scott Morrison's NCC as an advisor. Um, for um, yeah, we do have a, a, a weekly board meeting every fortnight um, 
Scott Morrison joins. And so, yeah, today we actually had the privilege of, of chatting to Scott and understanding sort of from his perspective uh, what's happening uh, from government and uh, what the plans are moving forward. So what's the NCC? Um, previous to the NCCC, which is the National COVID Coordination Commission. So initially the, the group was responsible for coordinating things like supply into supermarkets and when there was a major shortage. Um, as I wasn't part of that, um, come July and uh, as most states, if not all states at that point, were coming out of the crisis and, and numbers were quite low, uh, Scott Morrison revised the, that commission to become just the NCC, which was just the National COVID Commission. We, uh, he brought on some extra business uh, consultants or business advice as well onto the um, onto the commission, including myself. So there's eight of us that sit on uh, the commission as commissioners, and our job is to advise the government on the economic recovery post uh, the COVID crisis. That's amazing that you're on it. How did you get to be part of this? Yeah, definitely an honour and, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, quite a proud and, and, and to be an Australian and I guess for me um, being able to give back a little bit is uh, a, a great opportunity for to do that. Um, the way we it came about, I think anyway, is that uh, I uh, sat next to Scott Morrison at an awards event uh, for multicultural, um, for the Multicultural Council of Australia and uh, we had a chat there, and I think, um, and he heard my speech there. Maybe that was uh, the instigator for him to, to, to contact me to, to join his commission. Uh, my role is really to advise on the SME space um, in terms of uh, recovery, and so job creation is really the mandate of, of the commission, and then really to, to help, obviously, Australia recover after this crisis. So SME, that's small to medium enterprises, right? Correct, Yes. And what, so what actually, what's the definition of an SME? Uh, good question. Small is anywhere under 20 employees or under $10 million of revenue is really the official definition, I think. Um, medium businesses can be anywhere up to um, 200 employees or $50 million of, of revenue. Right. Interesting. So definition-wise, if you want to know, there's 2.3 or so million small businesses in Australia. Um, and there's about 30,000 medium-sized businesses in Australia. Okay. So quite a large population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. So, uh, I mean, apparently you're not going to give me a transcript of today's conversation, which is very disappointing. <laughs> but give us the lay of the land. Like, what can you tell us? If I if I told you, you would have to uh, – someone will probably find you tomorrow, I think. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, like I said, it's I'll quite a, a If he comes and finds me, I'll chat to him about visa workers. But um, oh. <laughs> you tell me what you chatted about. That great – like a privileged position to, to really understand what's happening and – and I'm, I am quite um, pleasantly surprised at the amount of work that's been done from a government perspective, a federal government perspective, in terms of the recovery. Obviously, there's some challenges in Victoria that has uh, slowed that down somewhat, and that's pretty uh, public now. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things that the, the Commission's working on, anywhere from the SME space through to tourism, which has obviously been decimated um, with this crisis, through the infrastructure changes, work skills, um, uh, aged care and, and health and, and, and that department as well. So there's a lot of different work streams that we're focusing on as a commission. And so I'll work with sort of two or three other commissioners on each of the streams to advise uh, uh, Scott and, and, yeah, and whether he takes all of it up, whether government can implement a lot of our suggestions. Uh, we're not 100% sure yet, but um, what we are sure of is um, they're absolutely listening. And, um, you yeah, know, it's great to have 
some some brilliant business minds around the table um, and I'm learning a fair bit from each one of them in understanding how to really deal with a crisis like this. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I think a lot of Australians have felt more interested and engaged by the machinery of government through coronavirus than perhaps we have uh, ever. I think, you know, Australia Australians, because we're so lucky in many regards, we can be pretty apathetic about, um, about how our country actually works and operates. And I think because so many of, well, all of us have been affected by uh, the coronavirus crisis, we've um, had cause to think about how government actually works and who's making the decisions that affect us all. Um, is it is it something that you've had ambitions to do in the past, like to, to be more involved in decision-making at that level or is it something that was really just thrust upon you through circumstance? Uh, definitely the latter. I am uh, as apolitical as you can imagine. So uh, I get very supportive of government and, and, and what they do and I don't... Uh, uh, I don't envy uh, you know the positions of power in terms of making those tough decisions, which obviously there's never a win-win for everyone. There's always someone on the other side that's going to have a, a challenge, which no matter what decision there is that they make. So, um, so to answer your question, no, I have no aspirations to go into <laughs> politics whatsoever. Um, I, I love my role currently because I think it's just about understanding what's happening on the ground, and and so. You know, my job at the moment is to talk to small business owners, medium-sized uh, business owners, and then relay feedback back to the federal government on, on different topics. And so, um, you know, great to obviously be going through these challenges myself directly. And I think that's why Scott Morrison really wanted um, the on-the-ground sort of direct feedback from businesses. And that's why the commission was created. Mm, yeah, fantastic. And it's really interesting that you've also got the perspective of that recovery in other states. Uh, plus, of course, you have the Victorian experience that we're all uh, living through. What do you think you can, how can you position your businesses in Victoria to be well-placed to recover when indeed they're allowed to open fully? Um, yeah, like I said before, I think the, the key part of business, whether it's in Victoria or nationally, um, I think the delivery and the in-home experience is critical now moving forward. I think consumers, there will probably be a, a little bit of a jump for joy when you know, when we are released from our homes and our and the restrictions. But I think ultimately people have changed habits now forever and, and eating at home a little bit more or eating on the go and, and becoming much more about convenience with product is important. So for us, that's around delivery um, and really focused around that and driving that into our um, uh, become to become a bit more habitual for our customers, a little bit like pizza is with delivery. That's where we want to be hitting and and uh, and getting rolled to become much more synonymous with you know, a nighttime delivery. Mm. And I think it's you know I suppose restaurants and dining in is so much about the experience. It's, it seems like people we've seen through many of the in-home dining experiences that. It's not just food in a box or food in a container. There is some experiential aspect to it as well. So I suppose it's also going to be about uh, reinforcing that and expanding on those the experience part of the of the dining. Whether it, yeah, if if it's um even though it is in people's homes. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, again, I think hospitality and businesses in general will go through a major upheaval over the next sort of twelve months, eighteen months, and. You know, that's just unfortunately the reality of, of a crisis like we're going through. And then, yeah, it is a 100-year crisis. And so um, I think a lot of businesses are already innovating. They'll continue to innovate moving forward. 
Uh, but unfortunately, th th there's going to be some major changes within a lot of different industries. And you know, I guess those that do innovate and really look at the consumer and what the consumer is looking for moving forward are going to be the ones that survive. And I think that's one of the things that has been one of my responsibilities for our group and, and our franchisees is to make sure that I'm leading the way in terms of that vision because it can be, can be really challenging, as you can imagine. You know, when you're trying to just get some sales to put food on the table uh, at home, it's really hard to look two, three, four years ahead. And so um, what I've been really focused on is being able to do that for our group. Mm, interesting. I mean, how do you do that? Is that a real like exercise in your mindset where you just somehow like push all the immediate pressures off to the side and yeah, get your get your special glasses on and look four years ahead? <laughs> I'll answer it in two ways. I've got a great team around me, so I've been able to build uh, very recently over the last two years a great team who uh, who can absolutely run the business without me, and that's. Um, you know, that's one aspect. The other one is I've got four kids at home and, and a wife. So, so that's kept me pretty grounded in that I need to focus my energies where I absolutely need to be. And so I know what I need to do, which is be able to decipher what is important. And so for me, if I've got my team really focused on the now and here and how to really help our franchisees get through the crisis, my job is to make sure that we are leading towards the right path. Yeah, interesting. We spoke to um, a cafe owner in Bali a couple of weeks ago and she spoke about something which I feel also makes me think of you. What she did on her Instagram is she started writing, um, There was an it was mostly focused at tourists, her cafe, but then through the pandemic when the tourists stopped coming, she started putting Bahasa Indonesian language on her Instagram posts as well as English and instantly she started getting more Indonesian customers. So people who were, you know, domestic tourists would, would look at the posts and feel like they were being spoken to more. Um, and that makes me think of something very interesting that you're doing with translation and other languages uh, in your business. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so part of the, the Mealbox uh, launch, we're looking to, well, we are at the moment in the process of creating videos in multiple languages. So um, we've got Vietnamese being one, of the, which is an obvious one for our business, but Spanish, Arabic, French, um, Italian, I think is one, uh, Mandarin, another one. So again, we see ourselves hopefully in the future becoming a, a global business. And I think this is a great way for us to do that. And I guess, you know, one of the other things is Australia is the most multicultural country in the world, I think it is. I don't know for sure, but pretty close to it anyway. And, uh, you know, I think being inclusive is going to be really important for, for the country moving forward as well. And, you know, we wanted to take the lead in that as part of our United in Noodles campaign, which is um, on the back of you know, some of the challenges in the US as well. So uh, we're proud to be able to do it. And I think we're one of the first in the world to do it, actually. So uh, it's exciting, exciting project for us. It's really exciting and, you know, when you when you think about it, it's so obvious. Um, but it's, it's I guess, you know, you can think about, you know, some, um, let's say a Chinese restaurant uh, in Springvale might have um, a Chinese menu and an English menu and that seems, you know, that's that seems like a good idea. But for you guys to be, um, yeah, going into all those different languages it's really taking that sort of cultural and linguistic diversity that we pride ourselves on to another level i think it's really really cool and one of like i get with my work with the ncc i've now learned much more about called communities as well and and the challenges but also the numbers around it so you know we're talking australia 
called community own or businesses in Australia are a third owned by those with called backgrounds, okay, which is an enormous number, okay, and which in Victoria alone employ 1.4 million people, okay, so um, such an important integral part of the community yet uh, can sometimes be dismissed in some communications and, and actions, uh, you know, from certain people. So uh, it's interesting to understand how important that is and making sure that that message is definitely through. Yeah, well, so cold, um, for anyone who's not aware, is culturally and linguistically diverse. So, see, Bao, you're in one room with the Prime Minister and suddenly you're talking in acronyms, but it's all right. <laughs> um, you started it, so, I yeah. Did, I did, I did. Um, yeah, I think we've definitely seen through COVID, um, and I'm thinking, you know, especially of the hard lockdown of the public housing towers that we saw here in Melbourne, we've seen that it's really easy for society to become fractured especially when we're under extreme stress and of course as as always like the people who are you know start the most vulnerable um end the most damaged and you know that vulnerability is I guess always um it's reinforced and I think one of the things that I think is so important and that I try to do is to really try to stand beside people and to um, be as inclusive as possible. And I think that, you know, that's that's what you're doing as well. It's like for someone to feel like they're seen and they're spoken to, it's so powerful and really reinforces the bonds of society. And, you know, I mean, you might, next time you talk to Scott Morrison, you can remind him that at the beginning of this, he said, we're all in it together. Um, I think some of that language has ever somewhat um but i think yeah what you're doing is definitely um a, a really good positive sign in that direction not to defend scott okay because i'm not about that and that's not what i need to be doing but i will say that there's been very clear direction from scott morrison as well in terms of the work that needs to be done in these communities to improve the situation yeah so so i think that you know, we're in it together there is obviously challenges that a lot of society is going through at the moment particularly in victoria but um, I think the philosophy is absolutely there. And, and like I say, I'm, I'm part of that sort of called community with my parents and, and understand exactly what that community goes through. And and I'm, I am leading some sort of changes through there at the moment with my role as the commission and hopefully um, I can get some of those initiatives implemented, which will enhance that relationship as well. So that's exciting. It's really great, Bao. I'm so glad that you are one of the people in the room. It's really makes me feel very heartened and hopeful. Um, and I really do value you sharing your experience and your wisdom today on Dirty Linen. Thank you so much for coming along to have a chat. Thank you for having me. It was a great and an absolute pleasure. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.